to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. We're at it again, delivering you a special on Labor Day. Well, actually a day after Labor Day, uh, but this is going to be our Labor Day economic update. Um, what we want to talk about, some economic news, but also some financial related topics and issues, uh, just to make sure we're a little holistic in our approach here. For our first topic here, to start off with segment one, we wanted to make sure to talk about the disappointing job numbers. Um, Devin, that was a huge thing that I know that President Biden is upset with right now. Uh, I believe economists are really projecting um, numbers, you know, really, really high, but that is not what we got. Um, job creation for August was a huge disappointment with the economy adding just 235,000 positions, the Labor Department reported on Friday. Economists surveyed by Dow Jones have been looking for about 720,000 new hires. The unemployment rate did drop uh, from 5.2% to, uh, excuse me, to 5.2% from the 5.4%, so about a 0.2% decrease there in line with estimates. But the August 2021 jobs report showed that black workers are facing an even bigger struggle to find employment compared with job seekers of other races. The unemployment rate among black workers rose in August to 8.8%, from 8.2% in July. The white unemployment rate, meanwhile, fell to 4.5% from 4.8%, and the Asian unemployment rate dropped to 4.6% from 5.3%. So a lot of different numbers in their list. The main thing to kind of grasp out of that is that, you know, our unemployment rate has risen. Uh, everybody else is not really doing a whole lot there. Um, the unemployment rate for Hispanic and Latino workers uh, inch lower to 6.4% from 6.6%. So a lot of, you know, unemployment rates falling except ours. Also, wages continue to accelerate, rising 4.3% on a year-over-year basis and 0.6% on a monthly basis. Estimates have been put at about 4% and three and 0.3% respectively. So um, we're kind of doing a little bit better with with wage gains, but not doing really well with unemployment and not really doing well with job creation. So, Devin, um, you talk to a lot of economists and what they're going to tell you is Delta. <laughs> they're going to tell you that <laughs> yep. you know Delta variant is really what um, kind of made this not as economists had estimated and expected. Um, because we are still battling COVID. Yeah, it's like 2020 on replay, right? I mean, it's it's like we're back to square, not completely back to square one. We do have a vaccine, but you know, just the <clears throat> we're just not on we're not on on you know sure ground with the economy. You can see that with you know businesses. There there are plenty of jobs available, but um, you know, it's just it's a crazy job market right now, and it's and again. Seeing that the imbalance between black workers, you know, only seeing seeing a rise in our unemployment rate while everybody else saw a decrease just shows you there's still a lot of work to be done when it comes to the, you know, making sure that the recovery is equitable and that everybody gets to come along here because um, this is something we saw in 2008. And, and, and it's just like that first fired, last hired kind of deal where when a crisis happens, those on the bottom typically take the blunt of it. And right now, um, you know, black workers are, are really struggling. Um, and I just, you know, Adrian, it's just frustrating to see that because we know that these things happen, um, but it's just inexplicable how <laughs> black unemployment can rise while every other group continues to see a decrease. And um, yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, 
it's like Delta, Delta, Delta. It's not COVID. <laughs> it's, it's still COVID, but just it's Delta, I Delta, know. Delta. <laughs> it just further shows how this pandemic just was just really aggravated stuff that was already there. I mean, our unemployment rates were already higher than most races. Um, and this just, 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 you know, COVID was no, you know, was, was no, you know, abnormality or outlier compared to all the other events we've had. And whenever people should think about, you know, what's going on with the black community and why we're unemployed, I mean, you got to think about all the underlying issues that we've talked about on our podcast from the, the education to uh, low skills to uh, not having, you know, the infrastructure and transportation or not having jobs in our communities. I mean, there's so many different mm-hmm. things that when you put in a pandemic where uh, a lot of the work has gone remote. And unfortunately, most remote positions require you to have, you know, probably a college degree or some sort of professional skills. You can't be, a, you know, work at the grocery store and expect to be working remote right now. So, yeah, a lot of our people have been hit hard by this, Devin. And I'm hoping that, you know, the the Biden administration will continue to see these jobs reports and remember that, you know, we helped, you know, kind of put them in office uh, and do something. I'm, you know, I'm hoping so. I think there's, as things become more obvious, um, hopefully there'll be some action behind it because, uh, you know, these reports aren't going to get much better. We're going into the winter. We're changing seasons. So the summer hiring season is going to be waning and winding down. So these jobs numbers may not get much better. Uh, so just be on the lookout and be prepared for that. But um, again, COVID and the economy are tied together, not only when you're talking about the jobs numbers, but also how that is affecting the different industries in the country. And one industry that has really been hit hard is the car industry. The vehicle industry is really struggling because there's a worldwide uh, chip shortage, a global chip shortage that has really cut down the amount of new cars that are available to be sold. And so if you drive around to a dealership, you probably see that there aren't very many cars on the lot. Um, and, and there's a reason behind that. And so, um, <clears throat> again, so we wanted to talk about this because there is a, a shortage and it's kind of, uh, you know, coming down into the used car market now where you're starting to see the used car prices shoot through the roof. Um, and just to give you an idea of how bad this chip shortage is hurting dealers, the average time for a vehicle to sit on a dealer lot before being sold is an estimated 26 days. That's the first time on record that it's been below 30. Two years ago, before the pandemic, it was 62 days that a car was sit on the lot before being sold. So that just lets you know the state of the car market. And so if you're going to be out there uh, searching for a vehicle or you're thinking about trading in your car and getting, getting something new, uh, here are a couple things, you know, you could kind of take um, into your search to make sure that you can find what you're looking for and get a, a decent deal. Uh, first off is if you have a trade in, if you're thinking about trading in an older car, the value might be more than you anticipate due to the demand for used cars. And so even vehicles with the higher uh, mileage, if you have a car that has over 100,000 miles on it, it's very likely you're going to get a lot more for it. Uh, in June, for cars that had 100,000 to 109,000 miles, the prices rose 31% in one month, which is crazy. Um, and so that just shows you if you have a used car, you can get a lot more for it. Uh, secondly, expand your range, uh, expand your radius for where you're looking for a car. You're probably going to have to go way outside your city. Uh, look within a hundred mile radius for a car. If you can do that, uh, that's going to help you out a lot. Lastly, you can also look at leasing, uh, leasing 
might be the cheapest way to get into a new car right now. Um, although leases do come with some restrictions on like mileage and you can end up being charged for excessive wear and tear. Uh, the thing about leases, though, they only last for a few years and you're not tied to a car for five or six years. So uh, just some tips, you know, if you're out there in the car market, uh, just, you know, make sure you, you do your homework, but also understand that you're walking into a very tight new car market uh, where you may not necessarily find what you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, Adrian, it's it's pretty crazy out there. Yeah, I uh, I'm somewhat in the process of looking for a car. I, uh, you know, listeners, in case you didn't pick up on it, I moved to Muncie, Indiana to do the MBA program in person here. Um, and Muncie, they have buses, Devin, but I mean, like today's Saturday, today's Sunday, and they don't run on Sundays. Um, <laughs> I think after seven seven thirty, they they stop running. So it's like. Mm. You know, and I'm, this, is, this is Monday through Saturday after 7.30, they stopped running. So I'm just like, if I wanted to go downtown and go to a bar, can't take a bus. It's like, you know, an Uber, you may have one or two cars that are available. So um, really, really need, you know, some, some transportation. So I might be having to kind of look at some different articles and take some tips here. Um, I wish, well, I don't say I wish, but, um, you know, going leading into our next story, talking about the super wealthy uh, I guess if I were super wealthy, then you know I wouldn't have to necessarily worry about this situation. But uh, the super wealthy is doing something a little interesting, listeners. I saw this story here where a lot of them are not going to be giving inheritances to their children. Uh, investors like Warren Buffett, uh, Hollywood star Daniel Craig—they've uh, you know pretty much said you know the past couple of months they don't intend to leave their massive fortunes to their children. And Kevin O'Leary, which in case you don't know, he's on Shark Tank. He's also on a couple of the things like CNBC's new show, Money Court, uh, and he's the ETF's chairman. Um, basically, he said that he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to curse or cripple his children. Uh, he wants to leave them set up, but only to a certain point as to not take away their need to work hard and find their own career success. So, Devin, I like this um, story, honestly. I mean, I, I think that because, I mean, honestly, Jeff Bezos, as much money as he has, if he left that to all of his kids, I mean, they would literally never have to do anything for the rest of their lives. I mean, you could just wake up, not even roll out of bed and everything's taken care of. I mean, it pretty much be like coming to America and, and Zamumba or whatever, um, or you or you don't, or you still have to do anything. I mean, you're just literally just living a life of luxury. And I'm not saying that that's not fair or anything. Cause I mean, I think it's great for minorities and different families to be able to leave, you know, money to their kids. But when you've got such wealth like this, your kids need to learn some work ethic a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the challenges with having that, those, that kind of wealth where you can make your, your child's life extremely easy is where is the line between providing them, you know, a nice, comfortable life, but not spoiling them to the point where they, you know, can't go out and provide on their own and build their own businesses and skills and make their own money. Um, you know, I, there's a line and it's, it's a struggle. I mean, that's one of the, you know, the challenges of being super wealthy is, when, you know, what do you do with that wealth when it's time for you to pass on? You can give it to your children. But, you know, if you haven't instilled in them some kind of work ethic, then they're just going to get the money and maybe not do what you want with it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, an, it's not just an interesting conversation for the super wealthy, but anyone who's going to leave behind a home that has, you know, a good amount of value in it, 
we see this all the time. Families break apart when someone mm-hmm. passes away and they leave a substantial amount of money because for a lot of people, that money, that life insurance policy, that house that they're arguing over is the most amount of money any of them have ever had exactly. their hands on. And so it can turn into a very nasty fight. And I've seen it happen, tear, tear families apart. So I get it. You know, I'm glad to hear someone like Kevin O'Leary say that because that's needed not only for the super wealthy, but just for a- anyone in general. Um, there's a way to do it without just completely ruining and making your kids dependent. Um, upon you, you know, hopefully you build them up to where they can be individual people and have their own success. Absolutely. But- <laughs> and I mean, that's what it's all about, Devin. At the end of the day, um, if we are going to set our future generations up to be better, um, yes, we do need to make sure that they have resources. We don't need our you know, our future generations to be homeless, but we also need to make sure they got the skills necessary to have career success, to develop their own businesses, to um, you know establish themselves as an individual, aside from being you know the child of you know X Y Z parent or whatever <laughs> the case may be. So I hope that if you're listening and you're somebody that's got kids, um, you start doing what the super wealthy are doing. Um, help your kids, but you know it's like I was having a conversation with my professor. At a certain point, you know, handouts are hurt or harmful to people. Um, we were kind of talking about welfare, Devin, and how <clears> uh, handouts with the black community can sometimes hurt us. Uh, and he was a white guy, so he kind of had one way of, of looking at it. And I kind of looked at it a different way as well. But I do kind of see in the same context that like like giving your kids money is, an, is another way of a handout. And we don't need to cripple our kids and future generations like that. So that's a great story. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. And so before we go on the break, we got one last little tidbit here for you. Uh, just in case your phone rings and the person on the other side of the line says they're from the IRS, um, it's likely a scam. The IRS is not calling anyone <laughs> like that. Um, and so the IRS is actually currently saying that they received a record number of complaints about economic impact payment scams or stimulus scams in June and July, in which uh, the thieves are trying to say that they are there to impart. They're trying to impersonate an IRS official. And the number of scams like this have reached a level not seen in more than a decade. This is from the IRS. And so IRS officials are saying in this news release that these, they call these phishing scammers. They're related to payouts to ease the impact of COVID-19. Uh, the end the pandemic. So the con artists try to mirror legitimate IRS communications with the goal of convincing unsuspecting taxpayers to enter personal information or submit a payment, officials said. And this information is then exploited by the scammer. So just again, if you get a call and someone says, hi, I'm from the IRS, hang up, hang up. The IRS does not call anyone. They will send you a letter if they need to get in contact with you first, they are not going to just randomly call you and ask for information over the phone. So just warn everybody in your family. Uh, if you don't recognize the number, the first thing is just don't answer. But if you do answer and they say they're from the IRS, just hang up. It's almost 99%. It's a scam. <laughs> so that's your scam tip from here uh, on the black agenda. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the, ending of the pandemic unemployment benefits, uh, some interesting budget budgeting tips, and also we'll tell you how to find a financial advisor. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. 
We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're going to get into uh, some more news here. So first up, we're going to be talking about the uh, pandemic unemployment benefits coming to an end uh, for many folks in the country. So as Labor Day weekend kind of comes to a close, uh, it's actually over now as you're listening to this. Um, the pen, the, the uh, pandemic unemployment benefits are also going to be expiring for millions of people across the country. So if you don't remember, these programs that are ending included uh Extending the length of regular unemployment benefits, uh, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which covered about 4.2 million people, uh, self-employed and gig workers who don't normally qualify for regular benefits, and the supplemental federal benefits that added $300 onto whatever unemployment states uh, were offering. So there's three separate programs here that are all ending or have ended because uh, they've expired. And so just to kind of give you an idea of what we can expect uh, with folks who will lose their benefits, uh, Goldman Sachs has released an analysis that concluded that about one and a half million people will be prompted to take jobs by the end of the year because of the Labor Day conclusion of the federal expanded unemployment benefits. And they also projected that if the entire country had ended benefits prematurely in July, uh, we would have seen in July 400,000 more filled jobs. So, uh, Adrian, that's an interesting projection from Goldman Sachs. You know, we've had this humongous argument over if the extended benefits are keeping people at home. I mean, I think some people would admit that, yes, it's keeping some people. But is that the main reason? Um, I don't know if we really have an answer to that question. We were just talking about this before the show. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, I guess if you ask Goldman Sachs, I'm gonna tell you, um, it's not. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. gonna <laughs> tell you it's not a mixed bag. We would have added more jobs if we would have been giving people money. Um, I mean, just like I said before the break, you know, any sort of welfare program, uh, is a handout, and a government must and has to balance out handouts. I mean, you. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, listeners. I hope no one, like, whenever I start running for office, somebody is like, Oh, you don't like unemployment when people are going through the pandemic. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is just that people have to work. Um, you know, we've, people do need to go back to work. I mean, it's, I get how, um, the unemployment benefits were giving people more wages and what they were getting through their, through their employers. And they were able to do all kinds of things. And that's, that's great. But that, if that's going to be our answer, then that's a different policy. Uh, then we need to address a different part of our public policy and different part of legislation. It doesn't need to be let's extend unemployment benefits to keep people home. We need to figure out like, you know, if people don't have enough money for rent or groceries or gas, like those are different policies that we got to tackle. But the policy isn't to make sure that people can stay at home, getting unemployment assistance or something like that. So, um, I'm not a Republican listeners, um, but I am in favor of, um, you know, ending a lot of these unemployment benefits and then trying to figure out what we can do to actually have a uh, sustainable uh, economic uh, prosperity and sustainable um, assistance for communities. Because, you know, 
high unemployment, you know, assistance, you know, giving people extra three to six hundred dollars a week. Um, that's just not efficient unless we're going to start doing universal basic income. And at that point, Devin, I'm going to be asking for my check, too. <laughs> yeah, we all will. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I, I think it's an easy target to say that that's why people are staying at home. Yes, it's keeping a few folks at home. It's a handout. We're paying them to be unemployed. Yes, that is true. I think there is something else going on because even in, I was reading this, um, even in the states that ended their, you know, benefits prematurely, they didn't see this rush of people back into the labor market. They did see a slight rise, yes, but it wasn't this massive push of people like, oh my God, I'm not getting my benefits. I got to go get a job now. That didn't happen. There are a lot of folks who did not still haven't come back. And I think we're going to see that. Yeah, we'll see some people come back after these, you know, um, this particular unemployment benefits for gig workers and self-employed workers goes away. But I don't think we're going to see this massive rush like we were thinking. Um, but, I, you know, we we could all very be wrong. But I just think there's something else going on here where folks have figured out, you know, I can do other things at home with a side business. Um, or they they figured out something else, you know, and they're not necessarily saying I'm going to go back to working the crappy job I was working before the pandemic. Um, I don't know. I think we're being a little naive and thinking that it's just the unemployment benefits that's keeping people at home. I could see it. Um, I, I, I definitely could see it. I, I think that that's um, probably an aspect of it, Devin. Um, but I, I can agree that it's probably not the only thing because in most places it was only an extra, you know, three to four, five hundred dollars. You know, the, the federal, you know, that six hundred dollars was gone. Yeah. So, um, in a lot of places it wasn't like you were paying people thousands upon thousands of dollars. They're to not living a house. The hog here, like right. Yeah, it wasn't enough to, for them to start eating, you know, lobster and you know caviar, you know. But um, I get what people are saying, and like I said, I'm one that's a very malleable. Uh, person more of a moderate than most people are because I like to see both sides of the coin. So I'm going to say that there's a good balance here. And, and the last thing I'll say is just too why I don't think we're going to see a rush back is the child tax credit payments are going out and those are about 300 bucks. So that kind of evens out. So if you lose a $300 federal benefit, it's just going to be replaced with your child tax credit payment, which is depending on how many children you have could be more than your unemployment benefits. So we got to, you know, pump the brakes here that we're just going to see this rush of people back because there's still more aid going out technically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about it what, last week on weekly round or last Saturday where there's only like what, 20, 30, maybe 40% of the aid that's been allocated that's actually gone out into the hands that's of true. people. There's, there's a yep. bunch of money that's just sitting there. So um, that's why listeners, you know, before we start saying, Hey, let's extend, you know, eviction moratorium, let's extend unemployment benefits. Let's just get the money out. <laughs> the money that's yeah, already been allocated. <laughs> let's just get that out. And then we can start talking about more extensions and stuff like that. Um, but here's a quick little, uh, budgeting tip that I uh, saw on CNBC's money hacks 
Uh, they're doing a series about different things to kind of help people. This is an interesting savings tip. I always tell people whenever you're going to save, um, you know, just think more about, you know, you know, con- you know, saving is better than consumption, have different, you know, tricks to kind of throw yourself off. Um, but this is a cool little trick where they basically say have two separate um, banks, essentially. Um, at one bank, bank A, have your checking account. And at bank B, have your savings account. And the reason why they say that is because having that friction and that, that, that separation between your money is almost like hiding it from yourself. Cause obviously, you know, I've got a savings account and a checking account through Wells Fargo and I can see both of them at the same time. So I know if my checking account is low, my savings account might be a little higher. I can just transfer some money easily over to my checking and that's not really helping me save money. But if I had them at two different financial institutions, um, you can't just, you know, transfer money over like that. You you know, that's what they're talking about with that friction and adds an extra layer in there so that you're not as tempted to kind of uh, dip into your savings as more often. So, hey, if you've got some uh, interesting budgeting tips that you do, feel free to post in the comments. Um, hopefully other listeners will be able to, you know, tap into those and get some insight into what you're doing and maybe help them. But we saw this little cool tip here, um, have two different banks, one bank, a checking account, other bank, a savings account, uh, and trick yourself to start saving money. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it works because I know how tempting it is. I like you, mine are in the same place, checking and savings right there. Um, so I, I, yeah. So very good tip. But um, our next story here uh, is more of a tip, too, also, but very important as well. Uh, And it's about how to find a financial advisor. Um, So as we move forward with the economic recovery, uh, one of the most important things we need to focus on now is personal finance. We got a lot of government assistance last year. uh, What, three stimulus payments. We got child tax payments going out. Unemployment benefits are ending. But, you know, a lot of people got a little extra so they were flushed with cash last year. So hopefully you still have some of it. I mean, so one of the best ways to figure out what you need to do to get your finances in order for long term uh, wealth and, and you know sustainability is by dealing with a financial advisor. And so here are some tips here on how you can actually go about finding that financial advisor. So first up is know the different types. There are different ones. So first up is a financial planning advisor. Um, investment advisory service, and then a retirement income planning um, financial advisor. So those are the three types. You also want to check the credentials of the advisor, um, understand the difference you know, between a fee versus commission, know if someone is a fiduciary, and then lastly, match. make sure that they actually match your goals. So if you can, write down, you maybe write down your financial goals for yourself. And then that way you can kind of figure out if the person you could potentially be dealing with actually matches what you're trying to get, you know, what your goals are. And then lastly, of course, is feel free to Google and check for complaints. Check the Better Business Bureau, check, you know, any any kind of government institution that takes complaints about, um, you know, financial advisors. Check and see if you're, you know, if that person's been mentioned. Um, just some, you know, some do your homework before you just go over and hand over someone all of your information. So, Angie, I know this is this is your your wheelhouse here, uh, with you being kind of, you know, on the financial angle. So kind of tell us your thoughts on that and maybe add some some meat to that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was a financial advisor 
somewhat for a little bit uh, doing this. And I mean, yeah, I tell everybody you should have a financial advisor. Uh, if there's anything I could do, if I went back five years ago and whenever I had my first job at American Fidelity, that would be the first thing I would do is get a financial advisor. And people feel intimidated by it because one, no one likes to talk about their money, but financial advisors aren't there to like pry into your personal finances and you know, make some sort of judgment about how much money you've got. They're about trying to help build wealth. Um, another thing that people don't realize is that generally you don't have to pay to talk to a financial advisor. Um, that word you talked about, debit fiduciary, um, those are people that you have to pay. Uh, you know, if you're going to see someone who is a fiduciary, that just means they have a legal obligation, almost more of a responsibility, consider your money like their own personal money and handle it as such. Um, they can actually charge you uh, a fee uh, for uh, actually sitting down to talk to them. But no matter who you talk to, whether you go to an AXA or Edward Jones or Mass Mutual, you should go ahead and start having that conversation. I know Devin mentioned a couple of different types of financial advisors. Um, a lot of the firms that I know either do all of them kind of in-house or has a person that might specialize in this or that, but they work together. So don't stress yourself out too much about trying to figure out, do I need to do one for investment advisory or retirement income planning? Um, most of them are going to have different parts of it because at different stages of your life, like, you know, if you're in your twenties and your thirties, you're in your, your, your wealth accumulation phase versus when you're in your fifties, sixties and seventies, you're more in retirement, you know, and you're actually annuitizing certain things. So don't worry about those things. Just find somebody. Um, as far as some of the other things that Devin mentioned, um, yeah, better, uh, better business bureau. Um, I think there's also things like Nipper, FINRA, the SEC, uh, all of these resources are out there for you to Google financial advisors. Know, you know, not only if they have complaints to get them against them, but the firms they work for, you can know if they've got complaints against them as well. But, um, um, yeah, Devin, you hit a lot of great points there. Uh, definitely make sure your goals align with your advisor. That's the last thing I would say, because my financial advisor, I picked him um, over a fraternity brother uh, who's a financial advisor. And the reason why I picked him over my fraternity brother was because of that right there. Um, you know, we were looking at my numbers and my retirement projection was like 1.2 million before I quit my job. And he was like, and I had said something like, oh man, I wish I could have seen that. And he was like, well, we need to start thinking about, you know, 2 million instead of that's 1.2 million. So, you know, his thing is about growth, which I'm thinking about growth all the time as well. So yeah, uh, listeners, that's it in a nutshell, find your financial advisor, start building some wealth. Um, we're going to get through this economic crisis, get through this pandemic together. Devin and I, we're going to be here to kind of help you navigate it, uh, whether that be with news, great conversations or with some economics. So what we're going to do real quickly, we're going to take our last break and when we come back. We're going to do our ending. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. 
Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. Uh, so first up here after today, which is Tuesday, uh, our next episode will come out this Saturday. Uh, that'll be September 11th, and that'll be weekly roundup number 13. And so make sure you tune in for that one. That's going to be, uh, again, all of the news from the past week. We'll also make sure to do an acknowledgement of the day September 11th and all those lives that were lost uh, back in 2001. So we'll make sure to dedicate that and acknowledge that in the beginning of that show. So make sure you tune in. Um, also, after that, so again, weekly roundup number 13 on September 11th. After that, our next episode will come out on Tuesday. And this time, you want to tune in for this one. It's going to be about the Bill Cosby case. So we're going to dive into the case against Bill Cosby and really explain the charges that were levied against him, how he was found guilty, but then released just a couple months ago. So we're going to dig into that. And our guest for that show is going to be Mr. Damian Jackson. He is a criminal defense attorney and partner with Riley McDevitt and Heinrich Law Firm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So make sure you tune in, diving into the Bill Cosby case and just in explaining exactly what happened and how he is a free man today. So uh, again, so some great episodes coming up and then we love it when you, you listen to our show and download it and, and share it with your friends. But there are also some other ways that you can help us out. Uh, you can do that by giving us some of your hard-earned money, and AJ is going to let you know how you can do that. Yeah, Devin, and absolutely. Make sure y'all check out uh, our, our Bill Cosby. Everybody loves Dr. Huxtable, so we're going to be talking about him. But uh, I'm not going to talk about Dr. Huxtable. I'm going to talk about donating because um, that's what it's all about. Um, we we love doing this, uh, Devin and I. We love doing this for you. We love you know talking to great leaders, coming up with these awesome interviews. Uh, I think Devin and I, I mean, we're doing a great uh, job here. I think most people would you know, agree to that. But in order for us to do an even better job, in order for us to take this to an actual job, uh, we got to have people to pay some money so that we can make an organization out of this so that we can not only talk to leaders, uh, we can start to lobby those leaders, and we can also start to bring some progress in the communities that we're touching and targeting. So go to our website, blackagendapie.com. Click on that donate tab and start giving. Um, all you got to do is sign up to give a dollar, two, three, four. When you do that, you can become a monthly patron and receive gifts. Um, if you're listening to us through the Podbean app, just click on that donate tab as you're listening right now, and it'll take you to how to become a patron. The other thing that you can do to help us out is by recognizing our charity of the month. Um, we always like to acknowledge another organization every month and for the month of September, we have selected the organization 100 Black Men of America. The mission of the 100 Black Men of America is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunities for all African-Americans. The 100 seeks to serve as a beacon of leadership by utilizing our diverse talents to create environments where our children are motivated to achieve and to empower our people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the economic and social fabric of the communities we serve. So really, really awesome organization. They're doing great things. Black Agenda Podcast is doing great things. We both need some money to continue doing great things. So help make it happen. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, yeah. So after you get done donating, 
to both the Black Agenda podcast and 100 Black Men of America. You can also pull out your cell phone or go on your computer to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and follow us on those platforms. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow us. Make sure you share the content that you're seeing. Uh, share with your friends, family, coworkers. We're just trying to really really grow this here. We know we're doing some great things, putting out some great content. We just want to get as many people as we can to listen to it. So that'll absolutely help us out. Uh, the last thing you can do is search for us on YouTube. Uh, if you just go on there and search the Black Agenda podcast, you'll find our catalog, which has loads of great interviews, but some really good recent ones about uh, critical race theory and just black history in general. Uh, we have 10 interviews with presidents and administrators of HBCUs. So make sure you go check that out. Again, just search the Black Agenda podcast on YouTube. And so for me and Adrian, we appreciate you listening and supporting us. Uh, so make sure you check out 100 Black Men of America. And our, our next episode will be on Saturday with weekly roundup number 13. And then on Tuesday with examining the case against Bill Cosby. So make sure you tune in for that. And so until then, me and Adrian will catch you all next time. Oh,